And it, it's kind of interesting. Actually, grocery stores will, will actually arrange their displays and the aisles and the foods and all this kind of stuff to make it so that you shop based on your belly instead of your budget. Did you guys know that? They're, they're like sinister, man. They go after it, and they know how to make those things look so appetizing and so good. And you will spend more simply because you want more, right? Suddenly you realize, I did not know I needed all five flavors of Oreo, but the way they have it set up right now, I have to get them, right? And, and, and that's what we do when we perceive that we have a need, and it was a need that we didn't even really see coming, we didn't really know it was there until we kind of got there. Maybe something feels like a crisis, right? If we go from just want into kind of the other areas of life and living, there's something grabbing our attention through some, some kind of lack in our life that we suddenly become aware of. It turns out that we're actually really horrible at knowing what we really want, right? We go to the store thinking we just want this, and then all of a sudden there's all these other options and we, we figure out that we're horrible at knowing what we really, really want. And, and we can see this play out in our own lives. I mean, as we get older, we kind of get less hungry for life, for certain aspects of life and more hungry for other aspects of life. Things that we did when we were younger, things we chased when we were younger, suddenly we see changes and, and, and sometimes we look at things that, that we even just purchased. Again, you know, going back to the whole buying thing. Anybody got a garage full of stuff? Anybody got a spare room full of stuff? Yeah? Got a couple of closets in your house? How many of y'all, come on, it's confession time, all right? How many of y'all have a storage unit full of stuff? Come on. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. We get money if we submit your name to hoarders. So I'm just looking for somebody. Cynthia Brandon, she's coming soon to an episode. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But we do, right? And we look at the stuff we bought and we think, why did I ever buy that? Like, come on, ladies, it still has the tags on it. They still have the tags on them, right? And so then you have a garage sale. And then even at shorter lengths of time, right, we, we shift from like wanting a hamburger once we're hungry to after we've kind of filled that, then we want what? Ice cream, right? I mean, you just go from hamburger. What happened there? You, did you not want ice cream? No, I wanted it, but this is what I thought I wanted. Once my appetite changed, then I realized that I actually wanted something else, right? And when you're younger in life, when you're maybe we could say hungrier in life, your appetites, man, you'll do almost anything to satisfy your appetite, right? You'll pay almost anything. You'll borrow almost anything to get what you want. And then when you get older, what happens is that you realize that sometimes what we thought we wanted wasn't really what we wanted after all. I want to say that again. Once we get older, we realize sometimes that what we thought we wanted wasn't really what we wanted after all. All the married people stay really still right now. Right? Like we just do as we get older. It just it happens. Sometimes we want it to be right. I wanted to be right, and so we argued to get what we wanted, and we were right, and we damaged the relationship. And then later on in life, we realized, maybe, maybe I didn't really want to be that right over that after all, if it ended up with this kind of consequence. We wanted more money. Hey, this is a big one in the Bay Area, right? We wanted more money, so we took that other position, and then we had a longer commute, Right? We worked more hours, and there was less time with the family. And then we look back years later as the kids got older without us, and we realize, hey, maybe that more money wasn't really, really what I wanted after all. Maybe life is a little bit actually emptier, even though I have more money 
my bank account. As we get older, we kind of get perspective. We get wisdom as we go through the timeline of life. And you start valuing things differently and appreciating different things and appreciating different behaviors. There's this thing called wisdom that comes with age and experience. And, 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 and you know, we can probably all look back and, and see things in our past, right? Like statuses that we craved and the way that some people would see us and, and value us as people and, and, and parties and crowds and cars and relationships, things that we thought we really wanted, things that we were convinced, if I just had that, if I could just get one of those, if I could just have him or have her, if I just made that much money, right? If I just lived in, in that neighborhood or drove that kind of car, I would finally be happy. And then you look back five or 10 years later and you shake your head at your past self, because you realize, I thought I really wanted that. I thought I really needed that. But it turns out that's not what I wanted after all, right? And we all have decisions and choices and, and seasons in life. I'm talking big stuff, right? We ended up with a mortgage that we really don't want anymore, a car payment that is just killing us, right? A, a divorce sometimes, a career that just leaves us unhappy and unsatisfied. And we've all had moments when getting what we wanted got in the way of getting what we really wanted. We all do. We all have this thing called regret that creeps in sometimes and gets into our mind and in our hearts. And then there are other times when we get things that we never thought we wanted that turned out to be some of the best things that ever happened to us, right? Like kids. Anybody ever had a kid by accident? Raise, no, keep your hand down. I'm just, right? Like, I mean, but no, like kids are amazing. You didn't really know, like in your teen years or your 20, that you wanted a kid. And then you get a kid, and then they're amazing until they turn into teenagers. And then you realize you didn't really want them. No, I'm just kidding. Caleb and JL, I'm just, just kidding. Love you guys. They're not in here? Oh, okay. I don't <laughs> it's kind of true. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? And, 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 and don't we wish... As adults, don't we wish that we had someone to teach the adult version of ourselves how to value not just what we want in a moment, but what we really, really want in life? Don't you wish you had someone to kind of walk you through that, right, where you could live life regret-free? Wouldn't that be amazing? Anybody want to sign up for that version of life, right? to live life regret-free and, and, and instead of just chasing whatever we want whenever we want it. Because if we always do what we want to do, we're going to end up in places and we're going to end up with consequences that we never wanted. Why? It's all because of this principle that we talked about at the beginning. Because we're not very good at knowing what we really, really want, especially when it involves us kind of dealing with a pain or an appetite in our lives. And appetite can mean a lot of things, right? Greed is an appetite. But if you start chasing money, you'll never have enough money. Sex is an appetite. But if you start chasing sex, you'll never have enough sex. And that's why sex is such a horrible reason to get into or out of a relationship because it's an appetite. And you can't let appetites run your life. If you let an appetite run your life, an appetite will ruin your life. You can't live your life based on your appetites. We're horrible at knowing what we really want, especially when there's pain or an appetite that's kind of driving our decision-making. But here's the absolutely beautiful thing. Here's the thing you've got to know. This is why you should think about following Jesus. This is why you should re-explore your faith. If you've been away from God or been away from church for a while, or maybe God's kind of there, but he's, you know, he's just on the one day out of the week and he's not really involved in the, the Monday to Saturday kind of you know, rotation of things going on, this is why you should plug back in with us. There, there's a beautiful thing about being close to a good, good father. 
And we don't always know what we really, really want. And then there are other times when we know what we really want and we're not sure that we deserve it. We're not sure that we could ever be the kind of person that would would get that kind of thing, right? But being close to a good, good father, you can learn to trust your life and trust your decisions and trust your choices, not to yourself that may be caught up in a pain or an appetite, but to leave everything in nail-scarred hands of someone that loves you more than you ever thought you could be loved. Wouldn't that be amazing to have that kind of trust with God, to have that kind of trust with God. And, and I mean, you know, we get this as parents. We know that there are times that we really are desperate for something. We want something to happen, but we really shouldn't get what we ask for, right? Anybody ever had a, a kid come to you, right? It's like after dinner time. It's 9 p.m. They've already had their bath time, maybe. It's 9.30 p.m. It's getting a little bit later, right? And they can't get the green helmet onto the certain toy, right? They can't get the doll shoe on the foot, whatever it is, and they're coming to you, and they're crying, and they're upset, and they're, saying, they're bringing it, and they're crying and bawling on the verge of throwing a fit and rubbing their red eyes, and they say, this is what I need. Put this on, right? And you know in that moment, what do they really need? What is it? Sleep. How do you know that? It's not even your kid, right? You're only an average parent, Sonia. I know that. How did you? No, I'm just kidding. She's an amazing parent. How do we know that every parent in the room, how did you know what I'm talking about? That they don't really need that toy, that, that little situation to be fixed. What they really need is something that they're not even asking for. Like if we, as kind of average parents, all of us, if we can figure that out about our own children, don't you trust someone that is wise enough to create everything who loves us more than we could ever understand? Can't we trust him to know that we really need something that we're not even asking for in the moment that we come to him asking for something? Can we get to the place, again, where we can put all of our lives and all of our pain and all of our trouble into his hands? And listen, I know I'm kind of using humorous examples, but like when it gets to real life, like this pain, is, it's real, right? These aches and these, these brokenhearted conditions that we have, they're real and they are serious and, and we're desperate for an answer. And all I'm saying is maybe there should come a time when we back up and we really take stock in what we believe about who it is that we are praying to, about what kind of God he is. If we really, really can see God as a good, good father, right? Maybe, maybe, before we accuse God of being absent, maybe, before we accuse God of being stingy or God being deaf or not, not being present or not listening to us, right? Can we just first pause and consider the nature and the character of a perfect, perfect heavenly father? Can we do that? And I'm not asking you, again, if you're struggling with something this morning and you know exactly what I'm talking about because like this is your season of life right now. I'm not asking you to do anything more than just just consider it. How could God still be good if this is what I'm going through? How can I still think that God is a good, good father if this is the pain and this is the experience that I'm having in my life right now and it doesn't seem like God is giving me what I am asking him for? Can I really still trust that God is good? Now look, again, that might be you this morning. Maybe this is you in the past. Maybe you need to hang on to this because it's coming and you just can't see it yet, you just don't know about it yet, but if you're thinking that maybe you've missed on this kind of pause and this kind of consideration about the character and the goodness of God, if you missed out on this before and not gone there before, you're not the first one, you won't be the last one. In fact, there was a guy that we're going to look at today and talk about today. His name was Paul. 
And he shows up on the pages of history. I, I really like Paul. He's an amazing uh, figure in history, amazing uh, a life story that we have recorded and, and preserved and passed on down to us. Paul was a Christian, but when he stepped onto the pages of history, he didn't step onto the pages of history as a Christian. Paul stepped onto the pages of history as a Christian hater. He wanted to jail Christians and persecute Christians. And, 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 you know, and then he met the risen Jesus one day. He claimed that on the road to a city called Damascus, that he was struck down by a blinding light and met a risen Jesus. Like Jesus had already died on the cross and rose again. And Paul was happy he had died on the cross. He didn't believe he had rose again, risen again until Paul said that one day I met Jesus. And suddenly Paul, after that experience, did not hate Christians anymore. In fact, he went all around the world and, and, be, and, and encouraged other people to become Christians. He didn't throw them in jail anymore, but he went to jail himself for the cause of Jesus and his movement. And he went all over the Mediterranean starting new little house churches and making new Christians all over the place. And so Paul was driven, man. Paul was, he was like a fire plug. He was just full of energy and am, ambitious. And even, you know, in his pre-Jesus life and definitely in his post-Jesus life, just go, 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 right? In the first 30 years of his life, he had spent being kind of a Jewish religious leader and being high up in the ranks there of, of Judaism and then, you know, hating Christianity. And then the last 30 years of his life, approximately, he was a Christian influencing people to faith, living out the second half of his life uh, with just this fire in his belly for Jesus, for the Jesus movement. And then something happened to Paul. And we're not exactly sure when it happened in that second period of his life, those last 30 years of his life. We're not sure exactly when it happened. We're not even totally sure exactly what it was. But roughly just before the, the halfway point of a letter, uh, you know, of the latter 30 Christian years of his life, Paul begins to give people that he's caring for and that he's writing these letters to that we call the New Testament. We call them the documents of the New Testament. About halfway through that last 30 years of his life, when he is living as a Christian, living to influence other Christians, Paul gives us a clue that something tragic, something painful has happened in his life. And we pick it up in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and he says, Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given. And we're going to pause right there and think about this. Because we know, you know where I'm going with this. That Paul's going to say he was given something painful, something that he tried to ask God for help with, Right? And he's talking about this in, 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 you know, in his later years and looking back on what he had gone through. And he chooses this word here. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given. Like looking back on my life now, and anybody ever had this perspective? Like something you thought was painful, you look back on later on in your life and you realize, I'm glad I went through that. Like I wouldn't have designed it that way. I wouldn't have ordered that up, but I'm really glad that I went through that. Paul said, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given. Now that I've come uh, you know, in, in a long way and seen a lot and, and I know myself better, I'm older and wiser and appetites have shifted and my perspective and my experience have all changed. There was a danger in me that I couldn't even see at the time. There was something in me that would have destroyed me if somebody hadn't addressed it, right? My choices and my desires were beginning to revolve around me, and I would think that I was God's gift to this world. And there was something lurking in me that I couldn't even see, and so I was given. And the Greek word for this is it's literally like a gift. Paul's saying, I got a gift. I got like a Christmas present packaging and wrapping paper and a bow on it. It was something given to me as something beautiful. He doesn't say, I was afflicted. He doesn't say, I was persecuted, I came down with. He says, I was given. 
Okay, well, Paul, you're getting a gift. We assume it's coming from God because we're in church. We're talking about church things. So you're giving a gift from God by God. Like, tell us about this gift. It's got to be something good, right? Everybody say it's something good. Come on, say, I know it. You know I'm setting you up, right? I was given a thorn in my flesh. Wait, Paul, you got a gift and it was a thorn? Yeah. That doesn't sound like very much of a gift, does it? That sounds worse than the sweater I get from my aunt every year. Can I hear? No, I'm just kidding. My aunt doesn't send me sweaters, but you guys know what I'm talking about. Paul's like, it was a thorn, a messenger from Satan, of Satan, to torment me. It tormented me. It poked me. It rubbed on me. It cut me open. It wounded me, and I couldn't get it out. And every time I would move a certain way, it was, ah, it was there. Every time I would flex a certain way, it was there. Every time I try and get up out of a chair, can I hear an amen from somebody over 50 this morning? Like every time that I moved and I did this or I I said a certain thing or I I behaved a certain way or I reacted in a certain way, ow, there it was. But looking back on it now, it was a gift that came into my life. And Paul said it was a messenger from Satan to torment me. The Greek word for this, it's like somebody beating you up. Paul said that was a gift. This thing that beat me up and gave me a black eye, it was a gift. And we're not sure if Paul is, you know, really using the literal devil here, if he's saying something like it hurts like the devil, like you ever had something and you say, well, it hurts from, it hurts like the devil. What's sure from this text is Paul said it came for a reason, it hurt me, it beat me up, and it stuck around, and I could not get rid of it. Some historians think that Paul may have had epilepsy. Some of them think that he may have suffered in de- with depression. You look at some of Paul's writings, even in some of the letters, when he said that we despaired of life itself. Even Paul was suffering with depression and, and all of the cares and the worries of life that were on him. And we can all relate to that, right? Just something dark and ominous hanging over him, and he couldn't quite escape it. Maybe it was a debilitating eye disease. Some historians think that. We know from his letters that he couldn't see well. Maybe it gave him headaches. And then Paul tells us what he originally thought of this Christmas present from God. What he originally wanted to do with this gift that came from God. Three times I pleaded. Not I sent in a prayer request via the City Grace website. Not I asked somebody, hey, pray for me, brother. Hey, pray for me, sister. I pleaded with God. I pleaded with God. I was crying. I was broken. I was desperate. And and, and at least three seasons in Paul's life where this debilitating thorn was so bad that Paul fell to his knees and said, God, I can't take it anymore. Take this from me. Anybody ever been to that low point in life? It's like, God, I just, I don't know if I can keep going on. God, I don't know if I can make it another day. God, I can't see a solution. I can't see an end to what I'm going through. I can't take the pain that I'm in. I can't keep on, and I can't do what you want me to to do, and I can't be who you want me to be. I'm ready to give up. Like Paul would say later on, I am despairing of life itself. I can't speak anymore. I can't go there anymore. I can't do that anymore. And listen, some of us have thought or been told that the reason that you suffer in life, and listen, you got to, listen, check back in on this. Some of you think, and some of you have been told that the reason that you are suffering with things in your life is that you don't have enough faith in God. That's baloney. Paul had a, a ton of faith. Paul was one of the most heroic Christians of his day, and still 
He had to suffer with this thing. Some of us have been told, some of you have been told that the reason that you have this pain in your life and the reason that you're suffering is because you're just not praying hard enough. Baloney. Paul knew how better to pray than all of us. Paul said, I speak in tongues more than all of you. I'm constantly in the presence of God. I still got a gift that beat me up and beat me down and dragged me around and did it all over again day after day after day. And I prayed. I pleaded. And still, it didn't go away. Some of us have been told that the reason that you have this is because you're not desperate enough. And Paul's saying, look, I was ready to give up. I was on the edge of throwing in the towel. I wanted to despair even of life itself. Like, God, kill me now. Take me now. I'm done. I'm done with this life. And listen, there is something to be said for prayers that break our hearts. Jesus even said, blessed are they that mourn, right? And Paul said later on that there are times even in in our prayer when the Holy Spirit prays for us, when you can't even find the words, when it's so heavy and so just troublesome to your heart. He said, all you can do is get out a groan. Like to be in times that desperate, to be in times that hurtful, to be in times that dark and that bleak and that just so void of seemingly any hope at all. And Paul said, look, I was there. It's not that you're not good enough. It's not that you're not holy enough or haven't done enough to earn an answer to prayer. Look, Paul did all of the things that he did, amazing things, wrote over half of the New Testament, started churches all over the Mediterranean rim, was arrested and beaten for the cause of Jesus Christ. It wasn't because he had not earned an answer. Sometimes what we are struggling with, we have to understand this, Paul finally got this, and we need to get it for ourselves. Sometimes the thing that we are struggling with and the thing that we are suffering from is a gift from a good, good father. And we don't understand how that could ever be. We can't reconcile that idea. We can't see that. We don't get that. It hurts too much. And in that moment, we're ready to give up and throw in the towel. But it's in that moment that you have to stop and pause and think about what kind of God is it that I serve? What has he said about me on the cross? What did he say about me the first day that he found me and brought me into his house and began to give me hope that maybe he does know my name? Maybe he does see my pain. Maybe he can love me even though I think I'm I'm unlovable. Can I hear an amen from somebody this morning? And Paul goes on and he shares what, what allowed him to endure. What strengthened him? What got him to get back up again? Here's how I was able to wipe away the tears, Paul would say. Here's how I was able to see through my pain. He said, but he said to me. And wow, wow. Some of us would give anything for that, wouldn't we? To know that God is still speaking. Not that God's speaking to some other people. Not that God's speaking just to good people or better people than us. But to hear God speak to me. God, I can even take no for an answer, but would you just say something? Anybody ever felt like that? Anybody ever felt like that? God, would you just speak, right? And God, not audibly at nighttime when it's dark, right? Can I hear an amen from somebody on that? Like, I don't really want to hear a voice. Like, it just, give me that impression, you know, like, lead me that fortune cookie. I'll take that. Like, whatever it is, you got to do. But God, would you please, please speak to me, please Please say something so that I can be clear, God, so that I can be assured that you hear me, that you know where I am, that you see my pain, so I could be reminded that you are a gift giver, so that I could have hope again, that you really do answer prayer. And so Paul, it seems like he's saying, yeah, the first time I went through this, I prayed. 
I pleaded. I begged God, but I heard nothing. We're like, Paul, I feel your pain. And, and Paul is telling us, well, yeah, I feel your pain because the second time I went through this, the second season of my life, it was so painful and I was so lonely and it felt like God was nowhere to be found. And I fasted and I prayed and I pleaded and I cried and I groaned and I listed out to God all that I had done to deserve this. I listed out all of the ways I had been a good Christian and followed his will and how this wasn't you know, just fair for me. And still, I didn't even get a sound. And Paul said again, but the third season, but that time that I went back again, that third time of extended prayer, the third span of days and, and weeks perhaps when I couldn't think of anything else, I couldn't focus on anything else, I broke down and I pleaded with God. He said to me, he said to me something. And we know what we want to hear from God, right? We know what Paul wanted to hear from God, that God would hear his prayer and, and answer back to him, yes, I will reach down and take away the thorn. I'll take away the pain. I'll take away the suffering. Paul, what did God say to you when he finally spoke to you? But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. No, wait, God, I asked you to take the pain away. I know, I know what you asked me for. I've got enough grace to cover your pain. God, it's hurting, and I can't seem to move any way without it affecting me. I can't seem to get past this and get over this. Would you please take this out of the way? No, I'm not going to do that. But I've got grace to cover up because my power is made perfect in your weakness. And I know what you really need. You think you know what you want. I know what you really, really need. And Paul, what you need is my grace. What you need is my favor in your unworthiness. What you need is my strength to do what I have asked you to do. Not your own strength because your own strength will fail you. Can I hear an amen from somebody? Not your own wisdom, because sometimes we're just not smart enough. Can I hear an amen from somebody? Not your own ability, because we all have limits to our abilities. And sometimes the thing that God has called us to do is beyond our ability. So we don't even need our ability. We just need our availability. And to say in that moment that, God, I'm hurting here, and I'm suffering here, and I'm weak, and I don't know if I can make it, and I don't know if I can do it, and I'm ready to give up, and I'm ready to throw in the towel. And God wants to say to us, I'm not going to take away the thing that has brought you to this moment, but I want you to know while you you are here. My grace is enough. My love is enough. My power and my strength and my care is everything, everything that you need. That's a pretty big claim, isn't it? It's a pretty big claim that I may, I may not have the thing that I think I want, but in my pain and in my suffering that God has given me everything that I need for my power is made perfect in weakness. That word made perfect means it's become complete. Like, wait, God, there's something that your power is missing? Yes. God's power is missing the opportunity to be put on display. And in your weakness, God's power is finally made complete. Your great need suddenly comes into contact with God's great supply. Paul, if you handle this on your own strength, you don't need mine. Paul, if you can handle this in your own wisdom, then you don't need mine. But in your weakness and in your pain, in the thing that you can't seem to work out on your own, you won't find your strength, you'll find perfect strength. And that thing that you can't figure out, you won't find your wisdom, you'll find perfect wisdom. 
You won't have peace that comes from handling the situation yourself. You'll have perfect peace that passes all human understanding. But God, I want out of this circumstance. God, get me out of my trouble. God, take away my pain. And God is saying, but if I did that, you would miss the reason that I gifted it to you in the first place. It's a present, something that I designed for you, something that I wrapped up and put into a box I put the paper on it, and I put the bow on the top, and I wrote your name on the card, and I gave this to you. I made this for you, and I'm not going to take away your confusion, and I'm not going to take away your hurt, but I'm telling you in this moment that everything you need, it's here. It's here in my presence. And it's a truth that Paul shares with us that we don't always see and we don't always know as we go through these things in life. But this is so true that we'll only see God's greatness when we finally acknowledge our own weakness. We'll never see God's greatness as long as we can handle things on our own. It's only when God steps above us. It's only when His power comes and flows outside of what we're able to do that we really, really see God as great. And Paul was saying it was in my weakness, that I found his strength. When I finally looked past myself, I saw him. I saw him. So Paul is saying, looking back on that season and looking back on my pain, my disappointment because things weren't going like I thought I wanted them to go. When it seemed like I was about to lose my mind, I found his. When it seemed like I was about to lose my way, that my God made a way where there didn't seem to be any way. When it felt like my ability to cope and to handle and to overcome had been sapped from me and I was weakest, I was at the darkest moment, the darkest point where I despaired of life itself. I wanted to check out and leave the planet. In that moment, I found his strength. I found his grace. And when I look at what I have gained through my pain, I have to say that that thing that I went through, that thing that I endured, that thing that I prayed over and God never took away, the messenger of Satan, that thing that I would call evil that came into my life, and it just shouldn't have been there. It never should have been a part of my story. It never should have been a part of my experience. That God was able to take my pain. God was able to take my suffering. And I see it now as a gift. It's a gift from a good, wow, wow, to get to that kind of trust level with God, to come to that kind of understanding that God is so much greater than all of us. And then Paul's not even done. He goes on. He says, let me tell you what, what I do about this now. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. I'm going to brag about my thorn, Paul's saying. When people look at me, And they say, man, what is wrong with you? You are so messed up. Paul's going to say, I know. Would you pray for me? When people look at me and they're like, why are you still struggling with that? Why are you still dealing with that? Why are you still going through that? You say, I don't know. I guess I'm just weak. Would you pray for me? Because I need some of God's grace. Hello, somebody. Paul got vulnerable with his weakness. Paul got open about the things that he was struggling with. He said, it wasn't just that I was kind of like, okay, admitting it. I got to the point where I boasted about it. You guys should see how messed up Paul is. 
You guys should see how messed up I am. I can't get over this. I can't get through this. I was ready to check out and leave the planet. I am boasting in my weakness because I have found out that when I admit to God, I don't have this. I can't handle this. I can't figure it out. It's in those moments that God's power and God's love and God's grace can finally flood my heart. At the point where I acknowledge the end of myself, I find the beginning of God's grace and it is amazing. Amazing. So Paul's like, yeah, I struggle with that. It happened more than once. But because I admit my weakness, because I finally admit that I can't handle something on my own, I am finally to the point where I am empty of myself and I can be filled with the power of of Christ in my life. When I, it seems like I can't make it happen, his power can. When it seems like things just shouldn't work out and the numbers just don't add up, I find a wisdom beyond my own. My pain has become my gain. My weakness has become an opportunity for God's strength. And Paul realized in the end that he was praying for God to take away what God had given for, for Paul's good. And Paul's saying, what I thought was an unanswered prayer was really God's gift for me to rest from my own efforts. What I thought was God ignoring me was really God's gift to have my life flooded with his grace and to be filled with his strength. What? Listen, if we could know, think about this. If we could know that a season of pain in our life, a season of sorrow in our life, a test or a trial or a struggle, something that just breaks us down, if we could know somehow on the front end, right, that that was a way for God to give us more of himself, what would we say about the troubles that came into our life? Think about it. If you could know that whatever you're struggling with, whatever breaks your heart right now, whatever sends you to your knees and causes you to plead with God, would you please answer this prayer? What if you could know on the front end that this is God's gift so that I can know him better? I can have more of him in my life. What would we say when those troubles came our way? Maybe our perspective would shift. Maybe our attitude would shift. Maybe instead of blaming God for being absent, we could finally get to the place where we thank God for calling us and giving us the opportunity to depend on Him. What if we were 100% convinced that every time we felt confused and uncertain and unsure in this life, it was an opportunity to have God change us, perfect us, and grow us, and bring us out the other side way better and way stronger than we ever were before that. What would we say when troubles came our way? I think we'd say exactly what Paul said in verse 10. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. What? That's strange. Paul's like, I know, I'm a weirdo, but I trust in God. That's why, for Christ's sake, in order to get more Christ, in order to get more Jesus, more God in my life, I delight in insults. Turn to somebody close to you and just insult them right now. Just, no, don't do that. Don't do that in church. Your ears. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Paul's like, I delight it. I love it when people insult me. I love it when people talk mess about me. Because when people talk mess about me, there's probably a small measure of truth in that. And I can turn and give that to God as another sign of my brokenness and my emptiness. And God can fill me with more of himself. Every hardship I delight in it. Woohoo! Every persecution, those dudes throwing rocks at me. I treat it like a game of dodgeball. I'm like, I'm ready. I delight in persecution. I delight 
and difficulty, right? Paul's saying, I do all of that because in all of that I find that I get more Jesus. When I reach the end of me, I find Him. When I finally come to the end of my abilities, I find His. So Jesus, flood my life with Your grace. Flood my life with Your mercy and Your strength. And then he ends verse 10 with this this thing that you've probably heard before, but it is so, so powerful. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Can we say that together this morning? Come on. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Come on, one more time. Say it with me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Could you close your eyes with me all over the sanctuary this morning? Come on and tell them together. Come on. For when I am weak, Jesus, then with you, I'm strong. I'm strong. And he sees us. And he hears us. And he knows us. But because he knows us, he knows that sometimes we're really, really bad and figuring out what we really, really need. So he doesn't give us the answer that we're asking for sometimes, but he gives us what's best for us because he's good, because he's loving, because he's kind, because he sees us from before we draw our first breath. I love the way the poet put it in the old part of the Bible. He said, he knit me together in my mother's womb. He knew you. Hello. I don't care what your parents said. With God, you were not an accident. Your life has purpose. Your life is by design. Your days were already written down in a book. He knows every path you've taken. He knows every slip and every failure and every mistake. He knows everything that is hurting you. I mean, like it's crushing your soul. Come on, somebody. Can you get honest in church this morning? Like You don't know how you're going to get through this. You don't know how you're going to make it out of this. You can't see hope. You can't see light at the end of the tunnel. It looks kind of like a train, right? Like you're just, you're just not sure. He sees you and he knows you. And everything that has been given to you has been gifted to you. And he's done it so that you can look to him at the end of yourself, so that you can find him in your weakness. Come on. I mean, what have you been praying for? Come on. What's been, what's been sticking in your side? What's been hurting you and just breaking your heart? It feels like it's killing you. What is it? What is it that you're dealing with? What prayers are still unanswered? I mean, you've cried. You've cried. You're brokenhearted. You've pleaded. You've tried to do better and to be better, right? You're starting to go to church more. You're starting to like, maybe I need to pray more than just a mealtime. Maybe I need to do more, give more. Listen to me. You'll never, ever earn it. You'll never, ever deserve the answer that you want. But that's not what it's about with God anyway. It's about trusting that He is so good that everything that comes into our life has passed through His hands. It's about coming to a point of trusting in the heart of God that you can look at your pain and your suffering and the thing that has broken your heart. Say, I believe and I trust that if it came to me, then it's what's best for me. That God is using it to work for my good. Maybe on the other side of this, Let me ask it to you this way. What have you stopped praying for? Anybody ever been there? Not what have you started praying for. What have you stopped praying for? What have you stopped asking God to heal? Who have you stopped asking God to touch, to bless, to reunite, to restore, 
Maybe it's time to not come speaking and not come asking God and accusing God and doubting God. Maybe it's time to come to God and just simply tell Him, God, I trust the heart of a good, good Father. God, there's healing today in You. There is perspective and wisdom today I can find in You, in Your presence.